So often people think that careers just happen, but the truth is they're the result of planning and focus and desired outcomes along with taking risks along the way. Hi, you're listening to Bowties in Business. Today, I've got Mark Hirschberg on, and we're going to talk about the Career Toolkit book. So he's got a great background. He does a number of interesting things, but one of the things he's done is authored this book to help people throughout their career from getting that first offer through the ethics of the situation in, and throughout their career. As always, this is Bowties in Business. You can find us on our socials. I'm your host, Tim Kubiak, and Mark, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I've got to ask, you've got a technical background and you've kind of written a career book. What got you there? It was a series of events. When I started out my career, I was a software engineer and I knew I wanted to become a CTO. And to do that, I understood what the job was. It wasn't just about being a good technologist. I realized there were these other skills I needed, leadership, communication, team building, negotiation, but no one ever taught me. So I had to start teaching myself. And as I developed these skills, I realized these aren't just for the executive suite. These are skills everyone can benefit from. I tried to hire employees who were working for me who would have these skills, but I couldn't find those people either because they also weren't taught. So I said, all right, I have to train them up. I began developing my own training programs. And in doing so, I happened to hear about MIT was starting a similar program. They had gotten feedback from companies across the US saying they were also looking for these skills, but they're not being taught. So MIT wanted to develop this program. And I said, you know what? I've been working on this for a couple of years now. Can I be of help? So MIT asked me to help develop that program. And after I did, they said, can you stay and help us teach it? So I spent the last 20 years teaching these skills. I've had this parallel career, in addition to being a CTO, also helping people with their professional efficacy at MIT and in other work that I've been doing. So I'm gonna bring some, st some stats up that I don't think everybody knows. And that is traditionally CTO lifespan in a corporation is pretty short, about 18 months, give or take, right? It, it is. And among just my own career and other CTO groups I'm a part of, it is pretty short uh, just because there's, there's high turnover where companies change, the business changes, personalities change, CEOs changes, all of these things can cut short a career of a CTO or a CFO, a CMO. The executive suite is, uh, is a tough place to be. Yeah. And, and you know, that's the, one of the things you, you see in the papers, if you've never sat in the chair is, oh, CEOs turn over every 18 months, CTO turns over every 18 months, you know, 36 month life cycle. And to your point, the sponsorship changes, the market changes, your investors change, and suddenly what they're looking for from the C-suite just doesn't align. Yeah. And it's also for those who are looking to get to an executive level, when you're an individual contributor or maybe even director level, companies need lots of you, right? Hundreds, thousands of individual contributors, scores of director level people, so sure, you're a marketing director, you know this. So yeah, they can slot you in here or there or, or somewhere. When you get to that executive suite, they need one of you. There is one CXO for each role. When that job opens up, you have, sure, a number of people applying, but now the fit needs to start, first start with 
do you have the right experience level? Do you know for CTOs, these technologies, this stack, but then also this space and same thing for a finance person or uh, might be, do you have the experience taking a company public or doing something specific? Have you worked in a utility before, manufacturing before? Do you know this space? Do you have the technical needs? And then even if you fit for that, then it's just personality. Do you fit in with the other executives? Whereas as a director, yeah, make sure people get along with you, but it's less about you have to be the right personality because there's more of you. So the higher up you go, the harder it is, that the smaller the hole is that you have to fit into and the more specialized it is. So if I bring you back to the book, you have a whole chapter in interviewing, right? I do. And you go up the stack. Is there any advice on interviewing differently? Well, the interviewing chapter, it's the same from the candidate side. It, it's really the same for both. Now, from the candidate side, you're thinking about what is it they're looking for? You are a salesperson at this point. You are selling yourself. Put yourself in the shoes of the customer. What is it that they are looking for? Now, the other half of that chapter, it's how to interview as the hiring manager, because this is something we never teach people. There's lots of content, how to answer that tough interview question. We never teach people, how do you think about creating the right interview process? And I've met executives from leading companies who've had zero interview training. If we're telling people, well, people are our most important asset, why don't we invest in optimizing the recruitment of that asset? Yeah, and it's interesting. I have found candidate or applicant management systems to be a nightmare in, throughout my career, right? Even when you have a good hiring process, at this point, the keyword search and the algorithms on that to get people there as a hiring manager. Literally, I tell the story all the time. I was getting ready to make somebody an offer and like the perfect candidate who I happen to know from previous in my career calls me and says, hey, do you know who the hiring manager is on this job? Yeah, and I know who the VP is as well. And you're talking to him. What's going on? He's like, well, I applied for it. Nobody's even, you know, won't return my messages. And meanwhile, this guy was literally the perfect candidate. <laughs> what I mentioned in the book, some of the problems with applicant tracking systems are that they look for a keyword and they don't understand, well, this is the same as that. So especially in tech, well, this technology and that technology, it's like we want someone who worked at McDonald's. Well, this person has 16 years at Burger King. You know, that's going to be pretty similar experience, but yeah. you do the keyword search for McDonald's and the ATS applicant tracking system doesn't know Burger King is good enough. And especially for technical roles. And by technical, I don't just mean software, but where there's some domain knowledge, HR might not understand, oh, look for Burger King and not just McDonald's. Yeah. The other issue, and this goes back to your prior question about as you get further up, the technical skills matter less and these other skills, the leadership, the communication, the team building matter more, but that's not what's on resumes. That's not what is in job descriptions. We say someone with X years of experience or knowledge of Y, and we look for those words and not, what is your leadership style and how would you function here? So they're not optimizing for that type of search. <laughs> that makes me, I had a recruiter call me once upon a time who asked me, about a role and they wanted 15 years of experience and the technology was less than three years old. I'm like, not even the guy who created it, which by the way, out of Stanford, um, has that much experience. Um, you know, so it doesn't exist. Whoever wrote this is wrong. And, and the 
recruiter argued and argued and argued. I'm like, good luck finding a unicorn. Cause I'm telling you the guy who created it's 30 and he didn't do it when he was 15. <laughs> Every technologist I know has that story. We see that time and time again. Yeah. <laughs> so you started on the software side of the world. You do fractional CTO work still, correct? I do. Yes. Right. How has that Early in the book, you talk about a career plan. How did that factor into your career plan? Because that's a very different role than sitting in that one chair for 18 months. It is. And one of the things I emphasize, when you create a career plan, it is not set in stone. You need to readjust. I didn't actually plan to write this book. But when it became clear I was writing a book, I kind of fell into it. I said, you know what? For a book, I need to spend some time going out, doing the virtual book tour. Well, I didn't think it'd be virtual at the time. I thought it might be in person, then COVID hit. I said, okay, I need to go out and promote it. I'm going to need some flexibility that isn't going to come from just sitting in that chair nine to five, five days a week. So I, given my new goal, where the book was part of my career goal, how do I adjust my career plan to give myself the flexibility to meet that need? I said, well, I've done consulting before. Let me do some fractional CTO work. Let me give this a try. And thankfully, because I had built up an extensive network over years, I very quickly found opportunities that let me do as much or as little as I wanted during any period so I could also spend time focusing on the book. Nice. And that's, that's a heck of a balancing act. It, it is tricky, but like most things in life, preparation matters. Now here, my preparation goes back 10, 20 years building those relationships that I can say to people, especially for certain clients where, hey, for the next couple of weeks, I want to pull back for a bit. If you're just starting a job or someone doesn't know you well, they say, wait, what, what do you mean? We were thinking this, but now you want to do that. But because I've had some long-term relationships, I can get that flexibility of, can I step back? I've got everything set up, so it's not going to be an issue. And if there's an emergency, I'll step forward again. So that gave me a lot of flexibility, but it was laying that groundwork. And that's really what career planning is. It's thinking of where I want to be down the road. This comes from my as a competitive chess player. I want to be here in five moves. So what are the steps I need to do? How might my opponent react and how do I prepare for that? I've done the same thing with my career and we all can. What are the steps I need to take today to be here down the road? So we're going to transition away from work and career a little bit. You, you told me you have quite the cufflink thing going, do you? I do. I started wearing French cuff shirts probably about, I think this was 2007, is when my ex-girlfriend got me into it. And currently I have over 400 cufflinks. I oh, haven't wow. checked lately. Now my cufflinks, I know you're, you're a bow tie person, so I appreciate your fashion sense. And you probably have some fun bow ties as well. You probably have a few cufflinks too. I do. I have only a handful of a knot, a square, the boring stuff. I don't like wearing those. The cufflinks I have, I have food cufflinks, hot dogs, sushi, bagels. I have drinks. I have wine and beer and soda and coffee. I have different types of animals. I have comic books. I have sci-fi. I have barber poles. I have... Uh, stethoscopes. I have different things for different professions. So I have all these different cufflinks and any given day, depending on what I'm doing that day, like, oh, I'm going out for wine tasting. I need the wine cufflinks. Or every day is 
International Whale Day or something. Oh, I'm going to wear the whale cufflinks. <laughs> so I pick the cufflinks based on what the day is. And all my friends and coworkers know, oh, let's check out what Mark's cufflinks are for today. That's really pretty cool. So what's your favorite pair? Got to have a favorite. I think my favorite pair is probably the pie cufflinks. And if you're wondering what I mean by pie cufflinks, I'll give you a hint. I bought them at the Museum of Mathematics. I was wondering, given where <laughs> being that you're MIT educated, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> um, and where's the most unique place you find cufflinks? Cufflinks are actually surprisingly hard to find. They are. <laughs> Not a lot of places carry them. I buy a lot of them online. And especially for these types of cufflinks, for what most people would call novelty cufflinks, uh, they, can be, they can be difficult. I do happen to have one set of custom cufflinks that a friend got me. When my book came out, she got me the Career Toolkit cufflinks, which oh, for anyone watching the video, here they are. So she took the symbol from the front of the cover and converted them into a cufflink. You can take pictures or any type of photograph and convert it into cufflinks. So she did that with my book. <laughs> That's really awesome. And I had no idea you could do that. I got to see if you can do that in bow tie prints. <laughs> you know, they should be able to, and that would make for an awesome bow tie. You probably have to really think carefully about the layout so you get the right thing showing up. Yeah, but you figure if you did it as a repeating pattern, might it might work depending on what you picked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you built an app to go with the book. So talk a little bit about the app, but then talk where the two intersect, if you don't mind. One of the challenges when you read a book like mine, or really any business book, or even more generally a self-help book, you read the book, you say, okay, well, that was pretty interesting. And then you forget three weeks later, because we're all busy, life moves on. The book is really here to help you. I'm not just saying go buy the book. Oh, good, I got a sale. It's can this help make an impact in your career? How can we better do that? So what the app does, if you went through the book with a highlighter, said, oh, here's a good point. Here's a good quote. Here are things I should remember. That's all in the app. Now, you, if you want, you can just download the app yourself and not buy the book and that's fine. But if you read the book, you're going to get a notification that pops up each day in the app that's like a daily affirmation, but has a tip from the book. And that's gonna do what's known as space repetition. It's just gonna give you a quick reminder. Oh, right, here's a networking tip. Oh, here's an interviewing tip. And so it's gonna help reinforce it in your mind at effectively no time. You don't even need to open the app. Now, the other thing you can do is if you're about to go into an interview or into a networking event, you can open the app and quickly go through the tips. Just show me the networking tips. Let me just look at those and you get that kind of quick refresher because you're certainly not carrying my book under your arm right. as you walk in. So as you're driving to the interview, well, not driving, as you're riding to the interview or waiting in the lobby, flip through it to get those refreshers. Because really we who are authors, we are in the idea business. We're not selling you paper, we are selling you content. And I think this is going to be a trend where we need to take our content and move it from out of those binders, from outside of the covers, and really into a medium to let our readers or our users access it when and where they want. So the app is free on Android and iPhone, and it's the Career Toolkit app. It's also linked from the website. That's awesome. Did you code it yourself? Got to ask. 
I didn't code it myself. I designed it and then I made the decision. I have never actually done app programming. I could probably figure it out, but efficiency says cheaper for me to do other things and then hire people who are expert app coders. That is a CTO level decision <laughs> right there. <Yes. laughs> know what you're good at and know where your limitations are. <laughs> you talk about in the book, management of people, management of process. Where does classic business education, in-house programs miss the boat with that or just totally fall short? They fall short in a couple ways. Most when they talk about management are a little more process oriented or they say, oh, let's just talk about people and how to be an inspiring leader. They don't get as much to the people side. And I'm generalizing, I'm sure there are some that do. If you talk to any manager, certainly senior managers, they're going to tell you the hardest aspect of any job is the people. And that's why I really want to separate out and say, let's just look at the people for this chapter. Let's understand people and their thinking, how to motivate people, how to engage with people. But then here's the other failure. And this is true, not just for management, but most of the topics in this book, they're taught as a one-off. They are taught as Let's take, here's a rising person in the company. We're going to send you to a two-day leadership program or management training or whatever it is. Go for two days, come back, poof, you've been ordained. You now know everything you need to know. And that is not how we need to look at this. This type of training, it's closer to how you might learn a sport than how you might learn math, right? In school, we say, here's a quadratic equation. Here's a formula, memorize it, you're done. Here's the dates of the American Revolution. Memorize it, you're done. We don't say, here's how to play baseball, you're done. We say, here's how to play baseball. Okay, go play for a bit. Now let's run some training drills. We're going to work on your batting. Let's play some more. Now we're going to work on running to first base. Okay, now let's play some more. And you're going back and forth between training and playing and applying. We need to change our education from one-off, and I mean within companies, we also need to yeah. change the education system as a whole. If you are at a company or in HR and you have influence over this, don't just say send someone for training once a year. What you want to do is create learning groups within your organization. This is how we teach you at MIT. This is how top business schools do it. Create these pods of people. And then you say, what we're going to do is we're going to take, for example, Mark's book, and we're going to read pages 10 to 20, and then we're going to discuss it. And in this discussion on perhaps leadership, I'm gonna hear about leadership situations you had, you're gonna hear about ones I had, what we did. You're gonna say, oh, Mark, why didn't you try it this way? Oh, wow, you know, Tim, that was a great idea. I wish I thought of that. I'll know that for next time. It's in that discussion where you really get the subtleties, where you really experience and learn and so we need to make an ongoing process. And now before you think, well, Mark's just trying to say, great, now get everyone else to buy a copy of his book. And you can use my book. And on the website, I have a free download for how you can create these. And there is a guide to if you want to use my book. But use any other book you want. Use online content. Use a radio program, YouTube videos. Use a great podcast like this one. And have that group listen to each episode of this podcast. And then discuss the podcast episode. It's the discussion that matters. You know, it, it's interesting. You use the memorization versus the practice play and build on. And, and that's actually something, the way you just articulated it, is something I think a lot of people miss early in their career. 
I have to know how to do X, program this, do a quote like Y, have the following presentation and value prop or you know, create this type of collateral and marketing. Um, but later in life, it's, okay, we have these things. What am I taking away from? And I know it's kind of a buzzword, but you, know, you have to have a peer group. And I, I made the joke with a buddy of mine that I woke up one day and all my friends were senior executives you know, or business owners. And, you know, 30 years ago, we were schmucks, you know, hustling goods. What happened? But it's interesting because we still draw from each other, you know, in different industries and everything as we've grown across. There's still a half dozen of us that when we run into something, it's not a formal thing. It's not a paid for mastermind. Those are great, by the way. But, you know, it is, hey, Neil, how do you do this? Hey, Mark, I ran into this or I'm, I've got a relational database problem, man. You know a guy. <laughs> That's the way I did this book. When I realized I was writing a book, the first thing I did, I reached out to a friend of mine, Dory Clark, who is one of the best-selling business authors. I said, Dory, can I take you a dinner? I need some advice. And she kindly, for the price of a dinner, I got advice from one of the leading experts. And she wasn't the only one. I'm lucky to have created this great network, great set of people. Now that's informal, but to your point, you can also do formal ones. I'm a member of the New York CTO club, whole bunch of CTOs. Anytime any of us have some issue, technical, personal career, we turn to a bunch of people who have that knowledge. Some people are part members of the, um, I think young, young CEOs, the YO organization yep. or EO organization, yep. brand the name. That's a great one for young business owners. So there are lots of different ones. And if there's not one that you can find, create it, create your local chapter, your local group in your community and build it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Now you do some charitable stuff too, right? I do. I've been involved with a number of charities over the years. Prior ones include actually the Museum of Math, where I got the cufflinks. Nice. But the ones I am active with today, Techie Youth. So what we're doing is taking kids in the foster care system, at-risk youth, people who tend not to have access to college education and often wind up in minimum wage jobs. We're teaching them skills to put them on a path, typically technical skills, but we're starting to broaden where they can start to generate their own careers. And we can get them, it's not about teaching everything they need to know, but it's changing their direction. So when we started, it was focused primarily on help desk skills. And for many of your listeners, they might think, well, help desk isn't where I'm aiming for. But for these students who, again, many struggle to graduate high school, if we can get them into a help desk job, suddenly they're in the company, they have a mentor, they have people they can turn to, they can continue to grow and get opportunities that many of us took for granted and has a huge impact, just this little pivot in their life. The other one I'm active with, plant a million corals. Unfortunately, we are losing corals and that is really the basis of the ecosystem under the water. So we are trying to repopulate the world's coral population through the research of Dr. David Vaughn, who knows how to fast grow corals. So I'm, I'm gonna start with the tech one, right? It's one of my things is digital divide. So I'm spending more and more time both inner city and rural because I think economically to me, you have to solve both. You can't just solve one or solve the other, you know, from a competitive as a nation status, not just individual level. So 
I totally get where putting someone on that path towards help desk or wherever is a total career change. It's a total trajectory change. And it has such an impact on society. Unfortunately, many of the students going through these systems, many of the at-risk youth, for example, they wind up having some issues later in life, certainly struggling financially. We see issues of drug use or of crime or other incidents that cost society by investing early on and giving them opportunities. And we need to find more non-traditional opportunities because school doesn't always work well. School is a mass production line. Yes. And in a mass production line, you get, I'm hesitant to use the word defects because I don't want these people to be thought of as defective, but it's the process doesn't work equally well and it's not fit for all things. And so we need a way to remediate where that doesn't work. And that's where organizations like Techie Youth step in. And now we've broadened with COVID, uh, that threw a, a wrench into our works. We couldn't hold in-person classes. So just a few weeks ago at the time of this recording, we moved to online, so at techieyouth.org. And we now have 2000 students as of, I think just the other day, who are enrolled in our program this summer. And so we can, thankfully being virtual, really expand. That's really cool. And it's great to hear that you're able to expand, right? Tough, tough reason why, but a good reason there. Yeah, we, we do have some challenges because we don't just say what's well, all online, go help yourself. We do have people actively there to provide support. So we have to make sure we get those ratios right. But we're expanding online and hopefully this will let us get to other cities faster because so far we've been primarily in New York. Okay. Well, when you get to St. Louis, you let me know. <laughs> I absolutely will. So talk about fast growth coral. I've never heard the term before. Dr. Vaughn has an illustrious career. He retired two years ago. Uh, he had worked with oysters before and some other sea, uh, sea life, but he created a way to fast grow coral. And he has certain species of corals that are more suited to warmer temperatures. I don't mean warmer like Caribbean where you find them, warmer as in our oceans, unfortunately, temperatures are rising, which is having a negative impact on coral. So he knows how to fast grow this. It's tricky. Coral is, it's much like pandas. We all know pandas, they don't mate very well and it's hard to repopulate. Corals have a lot of the same issues. Corals, by the way, are an animal, not a plant. And so there, there's actually sperm and eggs and trying to get them to come together and not die in the process. Pretty tricky, but he can start growing them in the labs and then we can get them out onto the seabed floor, but we need partnerships for that. We were working with some of the cruise companies up until COVID <laughs> took them out. And they said, you know, this is not the time for us to be focused on our, our charitable work. We're hoping now that COVID is starting to recede, we can get into a new normal and work with them again. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. And I just saw a thing actually on oysters this weekend and the importance to the shells. I have no idea, right? It's one of those Sunday morning I'm flipping through. I'm like, wait, what? So, yeah. And oysters are the vultures of the underwater world. They suck out a lot of pollutants. So putting oyster beds into certain regions, it's going to clean up the waterways. It also helps. I don't fully understand uh, how this works. I think it also helps with hurricanes and other uh, flooding potential. It, it lessens the effect. 
Oh, interesting. I, I think. I'm not 100% certain on that, but uh, look into it. I, I will definitely look into that. So speaking of looking into, we talked about the world kind of going back to normal and your charitable stuff. You do speaking. So can you comment on what, A, you know, what you typically cover and what's a good fit for you, but B, also what you're seeing out in the world today? Well, I'm excited that speaking is picking up again because most of my speaking has been virtual. And for people like me, for other professional speakers, other instructors, we love to interact with the audience. And while yes, we can see you on Zoom and you can ask questions, it's just not the same. So we are seeing speaking picking up. I've been booking a number of events for this fall that are in person that I'm very excited about. There's still an open question, how much of these are going to be semi-virtual? Yeah. And so within the speaking community, we know that there will still be some virtual events. We're happy to go back to in-person, finding that balance between in-person and virtual. And I think there can this can lead to new innovation. So just like with Techie Youth, where he said, well, we have to go online, we have no choice. And now it gives us new opportunities. With speaking, what we can do is have those live events, which we all miss and all enjoy, but we can have virtual components. So one of the things I do with some clients is I'll come do that keynote. I'll come to your, your event or I'll come to your company and do something live. But then we can take feedback or if there's that second channel, take what's happening there. And then I can do some smaller follow-up events. Now that's going to be virtual because not everyone's going to be in the same place as they were at the event. And we can do these secondary activities where it's a little more interactive and engaging, but online. And this also goes from that one-off, well, you had the event, you had that knowledge handed to you and you're done to, hey, this is more engaging. I'm getting that second experience. So it's going to sink in deeper. So I do things like that. And I cover a lot of the topics that I cover in the book. And it's a lot of professional development and training for companies and their employees. And you kind of bridge all audiences, right? Everything from HR to senior leadership to new hires from what I tell. So is that really kind of where your speaking business kind of runs that same gamut? It, it really does. And we have programs, whether it's how to take a crop of new hires and get them really on that path to success and thinking about the right things so they're oriented correctly, to senior leadership, to HR saying, how do we create innovative programs and how do we really engage all of our employees and not just taking a select few who are lucky winners for two days of leadership training? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you... Tell people where they can find the book. Tell people the best places to find you. You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. There you can learn more about the book, including where to buy, Amazon and local bookstores and everywhere you imagine. You can get in touch with me or follow me on social media. You can go to the app page and that's going to take you to the iPhone and Android stores where you can download the free app. There's also a resources page. And on that resources page, it has how to create these local peer learning groups within your organization or within your community. It lists a number of books, some that I cited in mine or some other book you might find useful, links to other websites and free tools online to help you continue learning and developing some of these skills. All of this is available at the website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. So final question, what's one last takeaway for people listening or watching? As you go down this path, don't do it alone. 
find other people, even if you know that formal peer group, have those discussions that you were mentioning earlier, reach out to others, talk to them, because that's going to be a much richer experience than just reading a book or just listening to a podcast. You're going to go much deeper. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to be here. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.